Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Well, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Hebrews. Now, I wanted to go some different areas, but we're going to... I am led to go to this area, and I'm going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. In the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, look at verse 1. As a matter of fact, if you want a title, I gave it a title for a change. And it's a very simple title. I said, Lord, now what is it? I was preparing my message and everything, and the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, All I want you to do is teach a simple message of faith. So this title of this message is A Simple Message of Faith. Amen? Very simple. A simple message on faith. That's exactly what it is. So Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, 11 chapter, verse 1. Well, I'm going to read to you two two, uh, translations, the King James Version and the Amplified Version. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's pretty blunt. I'm going to give you the Amplified Version. I want you to listen to it intently. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things you hope for being the proof of things you do not see and the conviction of the reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Now I'll say it again. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation or the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see. The proof of things you do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith then reveals the reality of the spirit world to us, even though our, con- our, our circumstances or our senses would contradict what the Word says, faith in reality says, I have what I do not see. Now, for some odd reason, I don't know why, it, I never had any problem understanding that. But you can give it in 20 different translations And some people just get off and say, that's so foolish, it's so stupid, it's so silly. How can anybody believe that they have something that they do not see? And you won't find me saying that I have something that I don't see. Now, for the life of me, I don't understand it. What is so hard about that? It's the simplest thing in the world to believe that you have something. I mean, you do it all the time. Every day. In natural things. Don't you? You do it every day. In your everyday walk with natural things. You believe you have things that you don't see. You could just go tell somebody that I I have a thousand dollars. Well, let me see it. Well, you don't see it. Where's it at? It's in the bank. Well, how do you know you have it? I don't see the money. But you go and tell people that I have it. You want them to believe that you have it. Well, if I walked up to you and told you that 
Praise God, I'm healed. And you see a big something on my arm or something like that, and you say, well, it doesn't look like you're healed to me. Well, the Bible says that by stripes I'm healed, so I'm healed. That's the title deed. My faith is the title deed that I have my healing. I am healed right now. Isn't that what the Word says? I mean, it's very simple. But someone say, well, that sounds foolish to me. Well, you're going to find out how the foolishness of the world, the foolishness that's of this world, God has made the things that are foolish in this world to put down the wisdom of this world. So, we're going to see that by the foolishness of preaching God's Word and the foolishness, if you want to call it, of disbelieving that what God said is true, we could change our entire life. We can change everything we do. We can change our whole lifestyle just by believing what God said is true. And we're going to see just how simple it is to believe that God's Word is true above your circumstances of life. But I want to share some things with you before we actually enter into that phase of calling those things that be not as though they are. And that's exactly what faith does, is faith calls those things that be not as though they are. And uh, also it calls those things that you see as though they are not. In other words, you could call things into existence in your own life just by believing what God's Word said. Now, let's go back to the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. Let's just take a look at a very basic, simple, fundamental principle that has kept, I guess, theologians, if you want to call them that, baffled as to what produces salvation. Someone says, nobody was born again until the day of Pentecost. That's a true statement. But others say, well, that's, that's not, how could that be true? In order to be saved, all you've got to do is just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Martha said that she believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Peter said that he believed that Jesus was the Son of the living God. Let's look at the 11th chapter here, verse 27. In talking to Martha here, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And in verse 27, he says, She saith unto him, Yeah, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. What did Martha believe? That he was the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world. Well, she was all right in believing that, and that was revealed to her to believe that. But notice she didn't believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. In order to be born again, one, one must believe in his death, his burial, his, well, his resurrection, his overthrowing of the kingdom of darkness, his being raised for your justification. Now, although Martha seemed to have the right words, she still did not have the right belief. Faith is believing in the unseen. You're going to see this. She believed that He was truly the Son of God, but just believing He was the Son of God was not enough. That could not give her eternal life. She could lay hold on it. She could have more or less a rain check for it. And she would get it once He was dead, and then He was raised from the dead, and seated at the heavenly right hand of God the Father, and then pour out His Spirit so that they could be born again. So... Faith then, the faith that she had was faith that he was the Son of God, but not faith, what we call revelation knowledge faith, in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. So we're going to see that this is nothing but sense knowledge faith. She knew, she saw, she knew he was there, she saw the miracles that he did, she believed. Now let's go to the 16th chapter of 
Matthew's gospel. Let's take a look at Peter's reply. Someone said, and I've, I've seen some men that I, I think highly of. Matter of fact, very good references they've come up with. But it seems as though when it gets to the area of faith, I don't know why everybody gets shy or something. I, I, they just, they're misled. I don't know why. But Peter over here, is, when asked, who do you think that I am? Jesus, remember the story. 16th chapter, verse 16. In 15, Jesus said, whom, whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, he believed that Jesus was the Christ. He believed He was the Son of the living God. But he did not believe that Jesus died for his sins and was raised for his justification. And the Bible says that if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And he didn't say that. He didn't believe that because he didn't know that. As a matter of fact, as you read right on through the end of Luke's gospel, you'll find out they still didn't understand what the resurrection of the dead meant. Right? Well, what constitutes being born again? You must believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. You have got to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for your justification. You must receive him as your Lord and personal Savior. So, Peter also believed because of what he saw. He saw the miracles. He saw what he did. He heard the words that came forth from his lips. He saw, he heard, he touched. He knew he was the Son of the living God. But this still is not what we call revelation faith or heart faith. Go to John's Gospel, the sixth chapter. We'll, we'll see something else about faith. We want to see what true faith really is. In the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, verse 6, I'm sorry, 30, <coughs> verse 30. Give you a chance to get there. In verse 30, they said, Therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What sign showest thou then that we may what? And believe thee. What? Look at, look at what it said in the last part. What dost thou work? In other words, We'll believe you when we see something that you do. When we see the miracle, when we see a sign from heaven or whatever the case might be, whatever they could see, feel, taste, touch, whatever they could see in that sense realm, then we'll believe, they said. When we can see it, then we'll believe it, that you are the Son of God. So what sign are you going to show us? Now go to the 20th chapter of the same gospel. In the 20th chapter, you know the story. We'll just look at it for a minute. 25th verse. If you have never seen this before, you'll be astounded. But up until the Pauline revelation, there was not one of the disciples or the followers of Jesus that walked by revelation faith. Every one of them walked by sense, knowledge, faith. Every one of them. All their, their faith was based on the five physical senses. And we'll show you by God's word. Okay, look at verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I see, circle it, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger, put my finger, touch, into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. 27. 
Jesus came and said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And If this isn't marked in your Bible, circle this word. And be not faithless. And be not faithless, but believing. Be not faithless. Now he said, Thomas, you are faithless. He was faithless. But now Thomas believes because of what he saw, what he touched, and what he heard. He saw the prince in his hands. He saw his side. He thrust his hand into that side. Well, if he did, he could have if he wanted to. But just seeing Jesus was enough for him to believe. Now he says, well, now Thomas is a believer. Yes, he believes. But why does Thomas believe? Because he saw. Because he heard. Because he touched. Or could have touched. So, everything that his knowledge was based on was sense knowledge. Thomas was not the only one that was basing his faith on sense knowledge. Peter, James... John, you name them all. Every single one of them, they did not believe until Peter and John ran down to the tomb and saw that Jesus was risen from the dead. They, he appeared to them, and when they, He appeared to them, he, they heard Him talk. They saw Him. They ate fish with Him. All the things that they did. Everything they did was based on sense, knowledge, faith. What they saw, what they heard, what they felt. Their entire ministry was based on sense, knowledge, faith. And you're going to see, beloved, how you and I have an opportunity to surpass anything that they've ever done through Revelation faith. Go to the book of Acts. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, all right, the, he spoke to them. There, in the whole chapter of the book of Acts, he is talking to them. He tells them to go and wait in Jerusalem, for you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and Samaria and all uttermost parts of the earth. But in Acts, the second chapter, now check this out. This will bless you. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And it says, and there was a sound that they what? Heard and clothed in tongues as of fire that they saw and they heard them speak with other tongues. How did they know they got the Holy Ghost? They saw and they heard. Everything they had was based on sense knowledge. How did the, did the Jews know that the Gentiles got the Holy Ghost? For they heard. For they heard. Heard what? Heard them speak with other tongues and magnify God. Heard them speak with other tongues. They wouldn't have been satisfied unless they heard over there when uh, Peter and John. Spoke the word. Peter spoke the word. Silver and gold of my number. Says I have you by thee in the name of Jesus Christ. And then rise up and walk. And he le leaping up walked. Entered into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. Well, when the Jews arrested them, the Bible says they couldn't do anything about it because they saw the miracle. They knew the fellow and they saw with their eyes 
what had happened. So they based everything on sense knowledge. Sense knowledge got them saved. I'll show you how sense knowledgeable they were. Peter, and we use this scripture, but I'll tell you what, this will bless you. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, look at verse 38. Peter said, or they said to Peter in verse 37, What are we going to do? They were frightened. They didn't know what to do. They crucified the Lord of glory. And they finally realized that they did. Peter said, Repent ye and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth for the remission of sins. Now, wait a minute. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a good formula to, to tell people you've got to repent of your old wicked ways and, you know, it's good to be baptized in water. But if you go to the Pauline Revelation, when, when really Revelation faith and Revelation knowledge came in, into being, you'll find out that when the jailer said to uh, Paul, said, what must I do to be saved? He didn't say repent ye and be baptized. That's why all the churches got to say that you've got to be baptized in water to be saved. See, Peter was not asking them to believe anything that was not that didn't pertain to their physical senses. In other words, he didn't tell them to believe anything that was supernatural only. Repent, be baptized, and you'll be saved. Paul said to the jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge. Revelation faith. Well, of course, afterwards, they got baptized. But you'll find out if you check the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts, everything they did was by sense knowledge. They saw Him after His resurrection. They saw Him appear there in that upper room. They saw the prince in His hand. They saw the piercing of His side. They saw all the miracles that He did when He was here on the earth. They saw everything up, into, up to the time of His uh, resurrection from the dead. And then they saw Him ascend into heaven. And then they saw the tongues of fire. And they heard the wind. And they saw and heard them speak with other tongues. And so everything that they believed was based on sense knowledge. And to top off the whole thing, John said in his epistle, first epistle, go there. Look at it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. Everything. Everything. Everything was based on sense, knowledge, faith. Well, you say, well, how come we got to get it by revelation knowledge? Well, Jesus wasn't going to be doing this every day, you know. Amen. So he revealed all these things to Paul, and Paul began to teach revelation knowledge. Faith without saying. Now notice when Jesus was talking to Thomas, he talked about two kinds of faith. As a matter of fact, go back there to the 20th chapter of John's Gospel just for a minute, because I want some of you to grab a hold of this. I know a lot of you know it, but you just bear with us, because you don't know it good enough. Amen. If you did, hallelujah, you'd probably be raptured by now. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the greatest truths ever revealed to, to mankind. This is the mystery. This is the hidden knowledge. 
The kingdom of God has come unto you. Now notice what he said over here to Thomas in verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen. Not seen. Not seen, but believed. Blessed are they that have not seen. You have not seen. You have not seen. You have not seen. Not seen. What did Hebrews 11.1 1 say? Blessed are those that have not seen. Let me read it to you again. In the 11th chapter. Faith is the, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see. And the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact that which is not revealed to your senses. Faith has got nothing to do with your senses. You do not know God through your senses. You will never know God through your senses. You can only know God by faith. But sense knowledge produced faith in the heart of the believer because that was the only way he could initiate it was by their five physical senses. They saw Him. They saw the resurrection. They saw the imprints in His hand. They saw His feet. They saw His head. They saw the side. They saw everything. They saw the miracle. They saw Lazarus come out of that grave. They saw the wonderful things He did. They saw the tree withered up from its roots. They saw uh, the, the daughter rise up. The, the South Phoenician daughter was raised up and she was healed. They saw all the miracles that He did. They saw the water turn into wine. They saw all these things. They heard these things. They felt. They touched. They did. That's all based on sense knowledge. Every bit of it. And the church world has been living by sense, knowledge ever since, and it never was intended to. It never was. But if it wasn't initiated by sense knowledge, then there would be no proof in the sense knowledge realm for the life of Jesus Christ. But I thank God that those men saw and heard and touched, and you could just find it through history that Jesus Christ of Nazareth lived and walked on this earth. Just through sense knowledge. But now, you and I were not walking with Jesus. You and I were not there at the graveside. You and I were not there when He raised up people from the dead. When Lazarus came forth from the tomb. We were not there when all these wonderful miracles took place. When He fed the 5,000. You weren't there when He said, Peter, just throw down your nets and you're going to get a great big number of fish. You weren't there to see all that. I wasn't there to see all that. So what Jesus is saying in this scripture is, Blessed are those that do not see but yet still believe. Believe what? Well, we're going to see something. Let's go back to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Hold your place there in the first chapter. I call this stepping out into the waters of supernatural living. It's taking a step out into the waters of supernatural living when you believe God above the sense world. When you believe what the Word of God says beyond that which you can feel, beyond that which you can hear, beyond that which you can touch, taste, and smell. 
When you start to believe God in this area, you have taken a, a giant step out of babyhood Christianity into mature spiritual growth in Jesus Christ. When you make, and unless you've ever made that step, friends, I'll tell you right now, you'll be a baby all your life. You will be a spiritual baby all your life. And I want to show you by the Word of God that this is the very wisdom of God. The wisdom of God takes things that are not seen and makes things out of them. The wisdom of God takes things that are not and brings to naught the things that are. And we're going to use this in the area of healing for our bodies because we want to get it in this area. But I want everybody to realize and see and understand that this is God's way of healing your body. Calling those things that be not as though they are is the way God uses to heal your body by faith. There are other methods, but I'll tell you what right now, unless you get a hold of this method, unless you begin to use this method and walk in this method, the other methods are not always 100% available for you. But this one method will work for you every time, 100% of the time. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians, 1st chapter, find Isaiah, the 28th chapter. People's lives are being destroyed every day because they are applying the principles of faith in the negative realm and they are defeating themselves by their own faith. Satan is using the power of deception to turn around the power of God and you're using it against yourself. It's like getting a laser beam and just turning it on yourself. You know the Word of God is light. That light is supposed to be for your benefit. It's supposed to be working on your behalf. But Jesus said, you better beware if the light that be in you is darkness. Because if it is, the same process works in the area of the supernatural to turn around your life and destroy it. It turns around the power, the creative force of God, the power of God, and it gives Satan the chance to get inside your life and destroy you. And you're going to see how this thing works and you're going to be able to Contrast between what is of God and what's of the devil and use the faith of God for your benefit and not for your defeat. Let's look at the 16th verse of the 28th chapter. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Now, underline this last phrase. He that believeth shall not make haste. Another translation says, He that believeth shall not wander about distractedly seeking another foundation. He that believeth shall not wander around distractedly seeking another foundation. Another one says, He that believeth shall not be put to shame. He that believeth shall not make haste. He'll not be looking for another way out, another foundation. And he that believeth will not be put to shame. Keep this thought in mind. When you are really believing God, you will not make haste. You'll never be in a hurry. When you're really believing God, you'll not be looking for another way out, another foundation, another method to receive what you need. And when you're really believing God, you will not be put to shame. You know, Elijah could have been put to shame when he stood there before the prophets of Baal and he said, and he put the water all over all the burnt offering, all the offering that he had out there and filled the ditches up with water. He could have been put to shame and laughed to scorn if God did not come down and bring down that fire from heaven and burn up, the, lick up the sacrifice. Right? Well, why wasn't he put to shame? Because he believed God. 
Because he believed God, he did not make haste. Because he believed God, he wasn't looking for another way out. And because he believed God, he was not put to shame and you will not be put to shame. There are a lot of people that are going to get on your case and try to put you to shame and make you seem like you're the most foolish person on this world because you're going to start to call those things that be not as though they are and they're going to say that's foolishness to you. To them and to you. Now remember this. When you're believing God, you will not be put to shame. Now go to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. This is the wisdom of God. Let's start with verse 27. But God hath chosen. Underline or circle those three words in your Bible. They are extremely important. Who has chosen? God has chosen the foolish things of the world. The word foolish in the the Greek means the stupid, the silly, or the dull things as considered by the ignorant. As considered by the ignorant. You know, I used to, they used to get on my case. I used to go around. They used to make me think I was the one that was dumb and ignorant for believing how I believe. I mean, Christians. But I'll tell you what. I found out studying this here that the Lord showed me. He said, they're the one that's ignorant. You watch and see. God has chosen the foolish things. But underline those three words. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen. You know what this sounds like? In the very beginning of the, uh, in the book of Genesis, and God said, let there be light. And God said, how many times? About ten times in that first chapter, they were emphasizing the fact that God said, well, look at this. God had chosen the foolish things. God had chosen the weak things. That word weak there means the strengthless or the impotent things. Think about that. God has chosen the impotent, the strengthless, the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things, the base things are those which are of no account in the world's esteem. He took things that are of no account in the world's esteem to do what? Well, despised is to regard as nothing or to make of no account. So he took the foolish things He took the weak things. He took the base things. Now notice it says, the despised things. And again after that word despised, it says, who chose it? Who chose it? God has chosen. Again, God has chosen the despised things. The things that are regarded as nothing. Worthless. Nothing not worth anything. God has chosen all these things for what purpose? To confound the wise. To bring to naught. Look at, look at the last phrase. The last part of this, this. I want you to get a hold of it. To bring to naught things that are. To bring to nothing things that are. Who's chosen? God. 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 You, you make sure that, implant that in your heart. Who chose this method? God chose this method. God is the one that chose these things. The foolish things. The base things. The weak things, the despised things, to bring to nothing things that are. God chose it. 
It was his intent to do it this way. Now, let's go on down to the second chapter. Well, let's go on. Go, first of all, hold your place there. Let's go to the second book, rather. Let's go to the second book of Corinthians for a minute. I want to give you another scripture. We'll tie all these things together in a minute, but I want you to see these scriptures. I want you to realize this. God chose this. God chose this method. No, men didn't choose this method. God chose this method. He made sure He let you know that He chose this, this method. He was the one that said it. I'm the one that it says God hath chosen. God hath chosen. God hath chosen this type of wisdom to cause the wisdom of this world to be ridiculed, to be foolishness, to bring them down to nothing. Can you imagine when Smith Wigglesworth walked in to the hospital room when there were five of the best surgeons and cancer specialists around and they were just, you know, using all the wit that they had, all the wisdom they had, all the knowledge that they had and this brother just walks right in and says, excuse me, boys, and walks up to the fellow with the cancer on his face and says, excuse me, boys, and walks over and goes... In the name of Jesus, come off and says, I'll see you. And walks off. Pulled it right off his face. Can you, can you imagine? I mean, it was gone. He walked right up and, he's, and just went, In the name of Jesus, come off. And he took it, walked right through him, back the way he came in and left. You think they were confounded? I mean, they had the, probably the, the greatest wisdom. They were all specialists. But can you imagine somebody operating in the faith of God using the simple things like whoever said in their medical book, just walk up to that face and just pull that thing off in the name of Jesus and he'll be healed. I mean, that's just, you know, that's ridiculous to even think that that, you know, that, that's to them, it's foolishness. That's stupidity. That's silly. That's exactly what the word says. He took the silly things, the stupid things, the foolish things. The strengthless things, the things that don't count to any, or amount to anything. And he took all those things that confound the wise and to bring them nothing, the things that are. For what purpose? The next verse says, so that no flesh could glory in his presence. Go back. Well, well, we'll get back up there and see that in uh, verse 29 when we get back there. But now look at the fourth chapter, verse 18. We're going to stay in the context of faith. Now, it says here, While we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen, or while we look not at the things that are seen, but the things which are what? Why? Because the things that are seen are... Now, now make a note of this. The things that are seen are subject to change. That's what that word means. The things that you see with your eye, that cancer on that guy's face was subject to change. And there was a higher law in effect that made it change. And if they had the wisdom of this higher law and knew that Jesus was Lord over cancer, and in that name that cancer had to bow, then they would have had the whole key as to how to get rid of cancer. But see, they didn't. And so the scripture says, don't look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, because the things that are seen, those things are subject to change. But the things that are not seen, those are the eternal things. They'll never change. You know that word will say you're always healed from, the, to, from now to the time you go to be with Jesus. It will never change. I don't care what comes your way, it'll never change. You know what else that the word will say? There shall no evil happen under the just, 
And you know what Christians are saying? Oh, dear. now why did the Lord let this happen to so-and-so? Now why did this calamity come upon so-and-so? Why did this happen? But the Word will never say that. The Word will never change from saying, There shall no evil happen to the just. He gives His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. No evil shall befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. It'll never change. Never change, never change, never change, never change. It'll never change. It'll say the same. Well, what are people doing then? They're looking at the things that are seen and not the things that are not seen. Because if you look at the, not, the things that are not seen, then those things that are seen are subject to change and they will become to naught. As a matter of fact, I gave you that translation of the... Uh, of the let's go back to... Well, go, yeah, go back right now to 1 Corinthians. Over there in verse seven, uh, 6 in the second chapter. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. I want you to note that this is the wisdom of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. Nor of the princes of this world that come to what? Okay, I said one translation says it like this. Or the princes of this world, the wisdom of this world, the princes of this world, which come to nothing and are declining to their end. Well, they're already nothing now. And they are declining to their end. So they are now going in the minus column. They are nothing and they are declining to their end. They're declining. They're declining. They're going back. They're going back. You'll use the same word as you look at the things that are not seen and speak to things that are not seen in your circumstance. It'll bring the circumstance instantly to nothing. It'll go right to the root of the problem and then it'll cause it to decline to its end until it's completely gone. Let's say it's healing in your body. Let's say it's a tumor in your body. Though, and I'm going to show you how the word of faith will work at the root. The word will go forth and instantly bring it down to nothing. It will begin to affect it at the root of the problem instantly. And as long as you keep looking at the things that are not seen and keep on speaking what the word says about your situation, it will cause that thing to come to its end and be dissipated and disappeared from your life. It will cause it to be vanished. It will go away. It will be gone. How? By looking at the things that are not seen. Because it will bring them down to nothing. And then it will decline even towards its end. Now, this is the identical thing that Abraham did in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans, in verse 17, talking about Abraham and God. And it says, God who calleth, or which calleth, those things that be not as though they are. Now, God does a very identical thing. He calls those things that be not as though they are. Now, that's the faith of God. God has the ability to call the things that are not as though they were. So God then, by wisdom, what wisdom? The wisdom of calling those things that be not as though they are, brings to not things that are. That's how He does it. Now look at the seventh verse of the same second chapter, 1 Corinthians. Let's put it all in context. Let's start with verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not, stand, should not stand in the wisdom of men. Notice he's comparing the wisdom of God with the wisdom of man. But in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our what? Now go over that again. Go back over that again. We're speaking of the wisdom that was hid. Listen. What was hid? 
Abraham was walking in the glory. He was walking in the wisdom of God. He was walking in the faith of God to that glory. But when the wisdom of this world, first of all, when the wisdom that, if you want to call it that, when the deception that Satan brought to Eve was received and accepted, then the wisdom of God, the power of God, and the glory of God that was predestinated in men and ordained that men should walk in was hidden from men. He was released or unclothed from that glory. But this says, in that seventh verse, we're speaking of the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained, and really the word means Marked out beforehand or determined before. God determined before that we should walk in that glory. And it's unto our glory. He says, I'm revealing to you now that which was hidden from the beginning. When, when Adam was walking in that glory of God, I'm showing you now that same wisdom will begin to work on your behalf. So that you could walk now back into that glory like God ordained in the beginning that you should be walking in. Now, with that thought in mind, go look at... 2 Corinthians 3.18 This is the very wisdom of God that caused Adam to walk clothed in God's glory. And now Paul says, I'm revealing to you now the wisdom of God. And this wisdom, he says, that I'm revealing is a mystery that was hidden, but God ordained this before the world unto our glory. So we could walk in that glory. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are changed. Into that very same image from what? All right. Now listen, let's put it this way. As you behold, let's read it from the, the whole thing. But we are with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord revealed through His Word are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Every time you take the Word of God, the Word of faith, the wisdom of God, and you begin to apply the wisdom of God in every certain area of your life, the hidden wisdom of God that has been revealed to you adds to your own spiritual life that very same glory. You are protected by that glory in that area of your life. If it's in the area of divine healing, then you have come to a place to where sickness and disease can no longer live inside your body because the glory of God is protecting you. You are now walking in the revealed wisdom of God. It was like that from the beginning. You take every phase of your redemption. You take every part of it and you appropriate it. You take it, appropriate it by faith, by the Word of God. By calling those things that be not as though they are. You take it in the area of your health and healing. You begin to call those things that be not like this as though they are. I walk in complete and total divine health because Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my pains. Himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with the stripes that were placed upon His back, I was healed. I am healed. I'll always be healed. I'll always walk in total, total and complete divine health from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And I forbid sickness and disease to live on my mortal body. And blessed be God, the glory of God will be changed and change you. So that the mortality will be swallowed up of the life of God or the glory of God. And that part of God's glory that's revealed unto you will be unto you the shield and hiding place of God. And you will be changed into that very glory. 
And as you take that part of it, you take the wisdom part of it, you take the love part of it, you take the prosperity part of it, you take every part of it. Every attribute, every characteristic of God works by faith in your life. And as you attain to every one of them, you are being changed from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And one day you'll be like the Apostle John who was so saturated with the love and the glory of God that his body was not subject to death when they tried to kill him. His body was not subject to death. His body was not subject to death. They tried to boil the guy in oil. But they couldn't do it because his body wasn't subject. Well, you think if it wasn't subject to the boiling oil, you think it's subject to the flu bug? No, of course not. Listen. What is he revealing to us? Calling those things that be not as though they are is the very wisdom of God. Let's go on. You're going to see it clear. It's the very wisdom of God. Go up to the... Go back... To the first chapter, First Corinthians. Now I want you to underline or circle in verse four. Circle these things for your own benefit. I'm not going to do this. I'll give it to you real quick. My speech, circle speech. In the fourth verse, circle also words. In verse 6, speak. Verse 7, speak. Okay. Now let's go on down. We said there in verse 7, we speak, we speak. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before that we should walk before the world unto our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew for how they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love them. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God, which things also we circle that. Not encircle that. Words. Which man's wisdom teacheth, but... And you could really just insert this right here. But the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, because Jesus said, My words are spirit, and my words are life. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I'm not speaking to you, Paul said, according to man's words of wisdom, but I'm speaking to you according to the words of the wisdom of God that the Holy Spirit spoke to me. That you should be speaking. That's what he's talking about. You're going to find out that the entire wisdom of God is calling those things that be not as though they are. Alright? He goes on to say, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Well, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Okay, wise man, you don't want to say that your heart's healed when you say that medical science doesn't say that it is? You go ahead and stay that way. 
Go ahead. What's he saying? God has chosen the foolishness. It's, it's foolishness to say something like that. It's foolishness to look at your hand with cancer all over it or whatever you want, any sickness or disease or poison ivy or whatever it is and say, glory be to God, I'm healed. To a medical doctor. You are right in line, the first one for the rubber room. That is foolishness. But God has chosen the foolishness to be His wisdom. But yet you tell that to the church world and most of them say, Oh, you've really gone off the deep end. Am I supposed to believe? Yes, you are. Because the faith of God calls those things that be known as though they are. And the faith of God brings to naught things that are in this world by things that are not. You don't say your words, do you? But Paul says, I am speaking those words because the Holy Ghost teacheth those words, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, and death and life are both spiritual. And they're both in the power of your tongue. Right? Proverbs 18, 21. James confirms in the third chapter, that whole chapter, if we have time, we'll get into it. The whole chapter is talking about the tongue. But did you notice that when he ended the chapter, he got, he got off into the wisdom of man's wisdom and the wisdom of God? world's wisdom and the wisdom of God. He didn't change the context of what he was saying. He was still talking about the tongue. If we get a chance, we'll get into that and explain it. Put it all together. But now he's showing you here, Paul's showing you here, that, that if we're going to operate in this thing, we're going to have to be, believe the words that the Holy Ghost taught us, and we're going to have to start to call those things that we do not, do not see as though they are. And we're going to have to operate in the same kind of faith. And we're supposed to consider the fact that Jesus did the very thing when he was here on the earth. Mark 11 teaches it. Matter of fact, go there to Mark 11. Abraham believed the unseen. He considered. Now, the Scripture says he considered not, but he did consider. The Scripture over there in the fourth chapter says he considered not his body, but he did consider his body. But what it meant was he considered the fact that his body couldn't do it. He considered the fact that Sarah, Sarah's body was beyond the place where she can have a child. And considering that fact, he, conceded, he didn't consider it. He says, so what? I still believe that what God said He's going to do. I believe that. That's what He said. He was strong in faith. He wasn't weak in faith. He was strong in faith because He, had, he, had, he was fully persuaded to believe that what God had promised He was able to perform. So Abraham believed by calling those things that be not as though they are, just like God. And he says, glory to God, I am a father of many nations before He even was a father of many nations. He believed that. He believed in the unseen. Now, Jesus, just in this 11th chapter of Mark's Gospel, explains beyond the shadow of a doubt that the faith of God and the wisdom of God uses the foolishness of words, if you want to call it that, words to take things that are not and cause them to be, and to take things that are and cause them to be not. And it sounds totally ridiculous. But this is where the church has missed it. This is where people have failed to receive from God. In this 11th chapter, look at verse 11. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he looked around about all things, upon all things, and now the eventide, eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Notice he was in Jerusalem. He went to Bethany. About a two-hour hike. Jesus, okay, then on the morrow. He's in Bethany. On the morrow... 
When they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came and happily he might find anything thereon. Now he's heading back towards Jerusalem. And when he had come to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs is not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, now listen. Listen to what he says. Jesus is speaking to a tree. He is speaking to an object. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. He spoke it. He spoke it to an object. And the disciples heard what he spoke. Those that believe God shall not make haste. They will not look for another source, another foundation, and they will not be put to shame. Jesus spoke the words. He believed in His words. Okay. We go on and we find out that He gets to Jerusalem. Now, go on up to verse 18. In Jerusalem, He threw out the money changers. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. Where did he go? Back to Bethany. Back to Bethany. Right by the tree that was still green and not withered. With his disciples. Right past the tree. Back to where he was keeping... Well, that's where they were staying, over there in Bethany. Right past the tree... The tree looked the same as it did when he cursed it in the morning. The disciples just walked right on by with him. It didn't have any effect. It didn't seem like there was any any effect. There wasn't any change to that tree. But look at the next verse. And in the morning as they passed by. Now where were they going in the morning again? Well, first of all, it says they left Jerusalem and it was back at Bethany. Because look at verse 27. And they come again to where? They left Jerusalem. They went by that tree. That tree at, at, the, at the evening was still the same way. It did not change its appearance. Now, that's Jesus speaking to that tree. And it didn't change for the whole day. And then in the morning, as they walked by, Peter jumps up and says, Lord! Peter called to remember and said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. In the morning. In the morning. Now, Jesus said some words. He said, This is the faith of God. This is it. You ready? This is it. This is the faith. This is the very faith of God. This is it right here. And he went on to say, Have the faith of God, literal translation, you say to the mountain in your life, you say to that mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Don't you doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said shall come to pass. Or what you are saying shall come to pass. You will have it. That's the faith of God. Even though you didn't see it, even though you didn't feel it, even though you didn't touch it. He said, if you'll say it, it will come to pass. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and you shall have them. Now listen to what he's saying. It's taking those things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. The word curse that Mark uses here means, and if you want, you can write this down, to call upon or 
to pray, to call upon, or to pray, or an invocation, to call upon, to pray, or an invocation, a prayer of invocation, divine power, supernatural power, to bring calamity or evil upon a situation. To call upon divine or supernatural power to bring calamity, destruction, evil upon a situation. Now listen. Jesus cursed the fig tree. He called upon divine power, supernatural power. Those words called upon supernatural power, that supernatural power went to the root of that tree. Curse. When a person has a sickness or a disease in his body, and when that person speaks to that sickness or to the disease, remember Jesus said, speak to the mountain. When a person speaks to that cancer, let's say it's cancer, and says, Cancer, I command you to leave my body in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You have called upon supernatural power. You have put a curse upon the cancer. You have called upon divine power to destroy that sickness or disease that's in your body. And once those words went forth from your lips, Jesus did not come back and say a word about that fig tree. He didn't care what it looked like, what it smelled like, what it tasted like. He did not care what it looked like. What his five physical senses said about it. He didn't care. It didn't matter. Because faith calls those things that be not as though they are. You have got to believe that when you spoke those words, those words were heard. God heard those words and the divine supernatural power went forth to curse it. Now let's put it on to shoe on the other foot. You're speaking, Jesus was speaking to an object. Every time you speak to your household appliances and your automobile and your children and say, these kids drive me up the wall. They'll never amount to anything. They're the dumbest kids I think they're all on this block. Every time you speak to your automobile and says, that is the worst running car I've ever owned, it'll fall apart before we make the final payment. You are speaking curses upon, I mean this, curses upon your entire situation. The Bible says, the mouth of the upright shall deliver him. But the same mouth, and James tied it into the wisdom of God by saying, and I'm just going to have to rip right on through it for you. He said, does a fountain bring forth sweet and bitter water at the same place? No. You are born again and you are filled with the living water. You are filled with wells, rivers of living water. And you are to bring forth the true water of life. Now, the fountain can only bring forth what is given to it from its source. If the source, the supply of that fountain is sweet water, then what's going to come out? If the source, if what was put into that, the source of its supply was bitter water, what's going to come out? So James was tying in the two and he was talking about the tongue. 
He says, you can't bring forth out of the same place sweet and bitter water. He says, therewith you bless God, and therewith curse you men who are made after what? The similitude or the image, the very image of God. Satan cannot get to God. I want you to hear this with your spiritual ears. Satan cannot get to God. He cannot get to God. When you cannot get to... You ever see somebody that cannot get to the person that they despise? And so they pin his picture up on the wall and get darts. And they throw it. Well, what is that picture? Nothing but the image of the person. You are the image of the living God. And he cannot get to God. So he's coming at the image of God. And he's firing darts at you and me. And the only way those darts can be effective is if we take the words that he's planning, the words of this world system, the words of the devil, the words of man, and if we begin to speak those words, then those words in turn bring calamity upon the believer. We call those things that be not as though they are in our own life. It never fails. I get the flu three times a year. There's your curse. There's your curse. This is how it works. James says, with that same mouth, you are blessing God and cursing man who is made after the image of God. Satan used your mouth to curse your brother or to curse your sister... When you said, did you know that brother so-and-so did this? Don't you think that he's this and that? And you start talking about brother or sister so-and-so, listen to what you're doing. You are speaking directly. I'll give you a better example. When Paul, on the road to Damascus, was stopped by Jesus, Jesus didn't say, Paul, Saul, why persecutest the church? Jesus said, Saul... Why persecutest thou me? When are we going to get into our heads where the image of God? That's why he said, if I don't love you, I don't love God. I see you. Look at, let's, let's tie that in. He said, how can you love God whom you've not seen if you can't love man who's made after his very own image whom you see? When I am the very, you are and me are the very image of the living God. We are made after the similitude. We are after the likeness of God. Yet I'm not loving you with this kind of love. How can I love my Heavenly Father whom I do not see? Now you're doing the same thing. With the same mouth. We are blessing with the same mouth. We are cursing with the same mouth. There's where your victory lies right there. Let's close right here with... When we, I'm going to say it this way. I never... <laughs> I never finish. I just stop. That's all. Because I think I like to preach for about ten hours on this. Proverbs, the 18th chapter. Let's just close it right here. Did you ever, did you ever, well, I don't know if you do much sermonizing or getting sermons prepared. But you, you think you got enough for one sermon and you got enough for a week seminar. I mean, once you start talking, you've got enough for a week's seminar. I mean, th this is so true. This is life. This is light. This is the Word of God. This is the life of God. And it just seems like you just can't get enough of it. There's just so much in here. It's just so alive. Look at the 18th chapter, the 4th verse. 
And I may just carry this over Sunday morning and just tie this in with James. The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. When the wisdom, that, that, source, that source of supply, that water supply that James is talking about is the well of living water of eternal life of the Word of God inside your belly. We should be, and the wisdom of God is flowing inside there. And if you'll just seek out and search out the wisdom of God, it'll flow out of you. It'll just flow out from you. Now, the words of your mouth, let's go down to verse 7. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Now, the fool's mouth brings forth not the sweet water, but the bitter water. He's bringing forth the wisdom of man. He's bringing forth the wisdom of this world. And Paul went on to say in that third chapter of 1 Corinthians, I still can't speak to you believers as spiritual. I can only speak to you as carnal. I can't get off and tell you to call those things that be not as though they are. I can't start telling you to bring down things that are by things that are not. You wouldn't know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to give you the meat of the Word. You can't even handle the milk of the Word. That's what he's saying. You take this message to other congregations and they'll just look at you like an old cow at a new gate. I never heard anything like that before. I never heard anything like that. No, I can't speak unto you as spiritual only as the carnal, as babes in Christ. Dear Lord, you didn't, you know, they don't even know where to find the book of the Bible, let alone call those things that mean not as though they are. And you go off, and then some people, now listen, you go off and you try to tell that to somebody who just got saved or somebody who's not saved. I've seen believers go off and say, hey, aren't, don't you know you're not supposed to say that you're sick? And they go, they're not saved. How do they know what you're talking about? Don't preach faith to them. Preach Jesus to them. Glory to God. They don't know what you're talking about. How are they going to understand it? Some believers don't understand it. How are they going to understand it? One more scripture. 12th chapter. We'll close it. Right here. I just got so much here. Verse 6. The words of the wicked are to lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. Verse 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health or brings healing. Verse 21. There shall no evil happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. Verse 28. In the way of the righteous is life. In the pathway thereof there is no death. Chapter 13, verse 2. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressor shall eat violence. Verse 3, he that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. You could read on through the entire book of wisdom. Call this the book of wisdom. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And you'll find out that there is so much about what you speak and say. There is, it's related to the health and healing of the bones. It brings healing to the body. It keeps you in soundness. It not only brings you that, it brings you prosperity. It brings you everything that God has. It brings you the knowledge of witty inventions, the Bible says. If you'll learn how to call those things that be not as though they are. And it's not blind faith. It is the faith of God. Galatians 2.20 says it's the faith of God. Mark 11.22 says it's the faith of God. You can read throughout all the Word of God and you'll find out that you have been made in the likeness of God. You are being changed into His very glory. Jesus gave you the right to speak the Word just as He spoke the Word. And the Word of God in your mouth shall deliver you and set you free. And the only way the people are going to get their deliverance is if they put the Word of God in their mouth. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And the only way it can come out of your mouth is from your heart. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the what? Now we've got to hit this heart. I am impressed by the Spirit of God to get this so much into our spirits until it just flows out of our spirits until you walk up to your Heavenly Father and just, just like a child went to his mother would never say to his mother, Mom, I believe I've got enough faith to believe you'll make me a loaf of bread. That would be insulting. It'd be insulting to go to your Heavenly Father and say, Well, now, Father, I think I've got enough faith to believe that you'll heal my cold. Same thing. You'll just be unaware of the fact that you're speaking faith. You will be so one with God, so one with faith, that all you'll be doing is just speaking God's total word. And everything that you say, everything that you say from your heart through your mouth will come to pass. As you learn to call those things that be not as though they are. You know, I haven't, I've never said, I, I don't remember the last time I've ever said, ever, under any circumstance said, that I'm sick. I don't believe in saying that. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that by stripes I was healed. I don't care what I look like. I could look like the sickliest thing on this earth. I don't say that. I knew this was the wisdom of God when I first got saved. I'll tell you, it wasn't working. Oh, dear Lord, did I look like it many times. But I'll tell you what. I've never said it. I might have wanted to cry it out so much. I wanted to just cry and go home and be sick for a change. You ever get that way? I mean, when you're first learning about this thing. When I first learned this thing, I went, oh, dear God, I just, and I just want to lay down. But you see, oh, I've heard, I've heard many, one, one great man of God says, I went off the po- from the pulpit, walked over to the bathroom, was close by, vomited and came back and said, glory be to God. <laughs> I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. Hallelujah. You've got to believe it. I'm not trying to push something off on you that I believe. I'm going to tell you what, this is word. It's the wisdom of God. It's the power of God. You got saved that way. You get delivered that way. It's the mouth of the upright that delivers him because the word is in his heart. And we're going to see that this is the very wisdom of God. The wisdom of God brings to naught things that are by things that are not. That's how it works. Now, if you have been hampered by sickness and disease in your body, if you have been affected by sickness and disease in your body, Here is my advice to you. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care how dark the clouds are on the horizons of your life. I don't care. If you will purpose in your heart to say nothing but, He took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with His stripes I am healed. He took my infirmities and bore his sicknesses, and with the stripes I'm healed. Therefore, sickness and disease does not have a right to live in my mortal body. If you'll say it today and say it tomorrow and the next day, and if you'll say it for a week and for a year and for two years and three years, there's going to be a day in your life that that word is so real and so alive that sickness and disease will leave your house and go to your neighbors and never come around you again. And if your neighbor is saved, he might get at you, but... It will. It will do that. It will not have place in your life any longer. And then once you get done with that, you'll be, you'll be right along the next side saying, My God supplieth all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And when it seems like you can't pay any of the bills, you'll never say, Honey, we can't. Listen, guys. I never tell my wife I can't afford to buy her a dress. 
I take that as an opportunity to look the devil in the face and say, Mr. Devil, I won't say it. Honey, go buy one. I mean it. You say you're getting a little fanatical again, but listen. Praise God. You got about four more hours. I'm sad. Hallelujah to Jesus. That's how it works. That's how it works. I could teach on faith for a month. Glory to God. That's a good confession. It works that way. It works. You've got to get a hold of this. You've got to believe it first, because then you're going to see it. Anybody want to go by your head? <laughs> Glory to God. You've got to believe this. You've got to know that the Word of God teaches it this way, because you're never going to have it or attain it until you believe it. But once you see that God's Word says that it's so, and it is so, and then you begin the process of saying it and doing it. And I'll tell you what, your senses will battle your faith every inch of the way. Every inch of the way, your senses will be crying out to you, you are foolish, you are silly, you are stupid. But you'll go back to that scripture and say, God chose the foolish, the silly, and the stupid things of the world to bring not the things that are. Amen. And so if this is foolish, if this is silly, if it's stupid, I'll tell you what, I'd rather walk away from that evil report that the doctor gave and said, you got cancer and you got two months to live, and walk off and say, glory be to God Almighty forevermore. I'm going to just act silly, stupid, and foolish and say, by His stripes I'm healed. I'm going to go one step further. I, I didn't plan on doing this, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. And I'm going to quote the author, because I believe he was a great man of God. E.W. Kenyon said, a lady came to me and said, Mr. Kenyon, I believe what the Word says. I know the Word says by his stripes I'm healed. I prayed. I fasted. I've done everything I know to do. How come I don't have my healing? Mr. Kenyon said, Sister, are you still taking your medicine? She said, Yeah. He said, you're repudiating the Word of God. Your actions are not corresponding to what you say you believe. Now listen. This is for the spiritual Christian, okay? I'm not, if you're a babe here, it'll give you something to grow on. This is not meant to put anybody in condemnation. This is meant to finally teach the Word of Truth and how it works. He said, Sister, I'm sorry, but your faith, your, your corresponding actions do not line up with what you say you believe. Brothers and sisters, I've heard of men that have walked away and left the medical field and it looked like they were going to die. It looked like there was no hope. They was about to die. And did you notice that Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman, when she brought in the tuberculosis patients into her, her house, it was one that the medical science gave them up to die and she took them into her house and said, now I'm going to give her the word and the word healed them without any help. Your actions got to correspond to what you say you believe. I know this is being tough, but I'll tell you what. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. It'll work for you. I want it to work for you. I mean that. I want it to work for you. And that's the way it works. You've got to start somewhere. And that's the way it works. God will be your source. You don't look for another foundation. 
God will be your source. And that day will be such a victorious day when you say, I have no need of the medical profession at all. God is my healer. My Father is my healer. Jehovah Rapha. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.